Well, good morning, Gateway. How are we today? See, I need a little bit more of that. I'm tired. Uh, but I feel like I've preached it, like, to the students and everything, and I always start out with I'm tired, which I think just says more about me not doing anything about it. Um, hey, can I open up with a word of prayer? God, sometimes the hardest thing for me is silence. To sit here and to just listen. We wait and we, 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 we try to hear you. And God, sometimes we feel like that silence is just deafening. So then we begin to create our own chaos. God, we live in a world where sometimes all we can do is wait. You've promised to come back a second time and I can only hope, help but think that whenever the disciples saw you after the resurrection, that they were expecting you to come back a lot sooner. And here we are, 2,000 plus years later, and we're praying for the same thing. So God, right now, I pray that if there is something that is on our hearts or our minds that is creating uh, a, a dark shadow over us, over our spirit, over our life, God, that we remember that you are light. God, if there is something going on in our world that is causing us to just get confused, complicated, tired, God, let's not be afraid of some silence. Because you come in the peace and the quiet. You lead us by still waters. And for that, I'm thankful. In your name I pray. Amen. Today's a pretty big day. What is it? Super Bowl, yes, listen, again, interaction, I like it. The Super Bowl. And as a Browns fan, I'm never going to feel good on this day. <laughs> Assured on that. But for some of you, I feel like you are either, uh, you've been a Chiefs fan for like three or four years now, or you've been an Eagles fan for about two. <laughs> Somebody's getting me. And you're excited for this day. And everybody has a different personality when it comes to the Super Bowl. You have the people who like the teams and they are excited. You have people who are just fans of football who just like to watch the game. But then you have people who are fans of the commercials and the ads. Never got that. Because there's like one or two good ones, let's be honest. And then you have people who just like the good food. Am I right? <laughs> Taylor, I'm feeling you today, brother. You keep going. But when it comes down to these Super Bowl ads, are, have you ever looked up how much it costs to get one of these going? This year, for a 30-second ad, it's $7 million. Yeah, woo. Last year, it was a measly $6.5 million. And back in 1967, it was $40,000. So people put a lot of money, a lot of time, and a lot of effort because they know a lot of people are going to be watching these commercials. People wait for it. People are expecting them to be funny or clever. But there's a new one going around that you may have already seen, that you may already know, that's actually turning the tides a little bit from what we're used to seeing. There's a one called He Gets Us. And it's all about changing the perception of who Jesus is. Now, if you look on their website, this is actually a massive campaign that they're trying to get launched to change this. And here's their, their hope, is that we are reintroducing people to the Jesus of the Bible and his confounding love and 
forgiveness. Now, the founders and the donors of He Gets Us, their whole goal is to change your perception, to change the world's perception of what we have messed up. Now, what do I mean by that? We serve a perfect God, am I right? We believe in a person named Jesus who lived the perfect life, who was the perfect sacrifice, and yet we as his people have messed up that perception. We as his followers, we as his, 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 his people, we're the ones who've gotten it wrong. And because of that, people refuse to come inside of a church or even come towards Jesus because we've done such a poor job of being examples for Jesus. Now, they say something in a commercial that I, that I watched about this, and he's asking them the question, what is your goal? Like, what's your purpose? Like, why did you guys start this campaign? And he says this, what I didn't understand is how did the greatest love story in history become known as a hate group? And when I say that that hit me hard, I mean every word of it. Because, I, and listen, I'm not saying that you guys need to follow these guys or listen to them on Sunday. I don't know their personal beliefs, but I get the campaign is good. But whenever they say that, how could the greatest love story that we know become known as a hate group, that should hurt. That should hurt us. Why? Because if we believe that Jesus is love, like he says, then if somebody believes that it's a hate group, we are the ones who have gotten it wrong, not Jesus. So their whole goal is to change the way that people see Jesus. So the question is, is yes, he gets us, but do we get him? And now what we mean by do we get him is do we understand exactly who he is? Do we understand what we're supposed to do in this world? If we've gotten it wrong, well, then what do we do about it? How do we change it? Do we get him? So today we are starting something new. And, and, and I'm going to give you out a crazy number. Don't freak out. Usually when we do a sermon series, it's like four to six weeks. This one's going to go 13. But we're going to have Easter in between that. We have a couple of foundation Sundays going in. So don't get crazy and be like, I can't stand James for, for 13 weeks. We'll be fine. I promise. Hold on tight. But James is a very short book. There isn't much theology. So like when you read the book of James, there's a lot of practical stuff, a lot of hands-on stuff that you're going to grab and you're going to understand. You're going to be like, hey, I can relate to that. The objectives of this sermon series, the, the objective, especially of today, I want you to know who James is, what was his title became and what his title became later. And I also, also want you to understand to not freak out over some numbers. For instance, when I say that the book of James is very, very practical, a lot of scholars actually get annoyed by it because it only mentions Jesus by name twice. And for a lot of people, that probably raises a little bit of a red flag in your mind. Whenever you hear he only mentions Jesus twice, understand something, that they believe that James was written before the letters of Paul. So Galatians, Ephesians, Colossians, Philippians, Corinthians, like all these different books, James was written before that, around 45 AD. So if Jesus died in 33 AD, this book was written in 45, that's 12 years where people were trying to figure out what are we going to do? How are we going to react? How do we act? Everything that we have known is now completely different. And James is writing to a group of Jews who are trying to understand how do we work? How do we act? 
Martin Luther, if you know him, he was a, he, he's one of the most prominent uh, uh, theologians of the past. He did not like the book of James. He actually said, get it out of my Bible. He said that it was a good work and it had a lot of good sayings, but it bugged him that there was such an emphasis on the word works. And I want you to understand something. If we do a word study, which is something I do recommend here, the word faith is quoted 16 times. The word work is quoted 14 times. And now you juxtapose that to only two times to Jesus. It, uh, you can understand why Luther may have struggled with that. But when I say don't freak out, the teachings of Jesus are filtered through this whole book. Everything about it, if he's mentioning faith and he's mentioning work, well, then there has to be something that you have faith in and that you're working towards. But what you also need to understand is that when, when Luther was struggling with this, he had created this theology about faith alone. And that's good. But one thing you need to understand about faith and works is that, yes, the Bible has a ton of stuff about faith, 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 faith. And I agree 1,000%. But what we can't neglect is that it needs to come with some action too. But also pause. Action does not save you. Faith does. Works will be a natural overflow of what your faith is doing. The more you have faith, the more you'll want to work towards showing that faith. And that's what James is trying to get across, is the more faith you have, the more you'll work. And the more that you'll understand about the work, people will see what you have faith in. I hope I said that all right. So what is James? Well, James is down to earth. It's for the common person. It's practical. It's true. It gives you a lot about how to tame your tongue. It's the hands and the feet about actually working. It's about boats and water, the wind and the sea. It's about avoiding lust and avoiding the love of money. It's about avoiding self, sin, pride. It's a reminder of the morality. It's faith and works. It's faith in action. And then we see here, it's a faith that works. And that's going to be like the theme throughout all of this series is that it's a faith that works. There is such a strong emphasis on both of those things. So it's a, it's a faith that works in us, a faith that works through us, a one that works for us, and a faith that goes to work. And that's what James is trying to get to people. And I want to back up, and I just want to mention one more thing. If you're still struggling with like the whole faith and the whole works thing, I get it. It's a lot. You can do everything right meaning you could be the best person in the world. But if you do not have a relationship with Jesus, then you've missed the point. You see what I'm saying? The more that our faith in Jesus goes, the works come with it. And if we do everything right and we never do anything wrong, then we don't understand our sinfulness and the need for a savior. So we have the main question here. If Jesus gets us, but do we get Jesus? And we're gonna be camping out in one verse today. In James chapter one, verse one, the very beginning of James. And we're staying there today. But there's so much to be said about who James is, and we gotta set the scene right for the series. But it says this, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes in the dispersion, greetings. So he starts out by saying who he is. He is James, he's a slave, of the Lord Jesus Christ, and he's writing to a group of 12 tribes from the dispersion. 
That's who he's talking to. You got to keep that in mind. We'll come back to that. Now, the name James is actually pretty popular. My dad's name is James. My middle name is James. Odds are you know somebody named James. It actually comes from a Hebrew word of Jacob, and you have different names like uh, Jim, Jim Bob, Jimmy, Jamie, Jim Beam, Jimothy, and Jimbo. People laugh about the Jim Beam thing. I just wanted to giggle at that one. But we understand that James has a lot of different nicknames. And we have three prominent guys in the Bible who are named James, but it's very specific on who we're talking about. Okay, so the first one we're talking about is James the Apostle, the brother of John. This is the one where if you hear the sons of Zebedee or the sons of thunder, James is one of those. His brother's name was John. He was always like in that inner group of disciples, the apostles that we read about all the, all the time. In Acts chapter 12, we hear about him actually killing a guy named James who they believe is this. The second guy is James, the son of Alphaeus. If you look in in, in Matthew chapter 10, you actually hear about both of these guys. You have James, the, the brother of John, and you have James, the son of Alphaeus. So they're clearly two distinct people. We don't know much else about James, the son of Alphaeus, other than he was obviously part of the big group and that he was known. You can, he, he's also called uh, James the Younger or James the Less. But neither one of these guys wrote the book of James. The third guy that we're talking about the rest of the day is James, the half-brother of Jesus. James has so much about his life. But what we need to say is in Matthew chapter 13, it says this. Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? And are not his brothers, James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? So we see that, number one, Jesus has a pretty big family because not only does he have these amount of brothers, but as we read in the focus verse, he also had a lot of sisters. So Jesus had a pretty large family. And I don't know about you, but your family's opinion probably matters to you, right? (laughs) Some of you are like, nah, nah, we're good. But for the most part, you care what your family thinks because they know exactly who you are. They know what you are. And for Jesus, it wasn't any different. But Jesus' identity wasn't just in that, obviously. He had a lot more. Now, Jesus made a lot of really, really bold claims about himself. He wanted people to know who he is. So that's why he's always talking about, I am not of this world. I am the son of God. I'm here for a purpose with a purpose. And you can understand that that probably didn't sit well with his brothers and his sisters. And we read this in John chapter 7, verse 1 through 5. After this, Jesus went about in Galilee. He would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now the Jews, the Feast of Booths was at hand. So his brothers said to him, leave here and go to Judea, that your disciples also may see the works that you are doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world, for not even his brothers believed in him. They're basically saying to Jesus, dude, if you are actually who you say you are, do it. If you are actually the son of God that you're always talking about, prove it to us. Time to shut up or put up. I don't believe you. And that's hard to say, and it's hard to think about, but like that's how I reconcile it in my brain is like, they didn't know who he was. They didn't believe that he was who he was. They're like, this is the dude that we were running around with. This is the one who we saw scrape his knee and start crying. That can be hard to believe that he's the son of God who's gonna save the world, right? 
In Mark chapter 3, we don't have this on the screen, verse 21, it says this. And when his family, and they're talking about Jesus, heard about this, they went to take charge of him, for they said, he is out of his mind. So James, the half-brother of Jesus, basically told Jesus, hey, do it, or we aren't going to believe you. And then it said that they basically tried to corral him and say, dude, you got to stop talking, because they thought he was crazy. And yet what we find out about James is he becomes one of the greatest leaders of the church in the church for Jerusalem. What changed for James? If he was so against Jesus being who he says he was, then why all of a sudden does he change his life completely to do the opposite? If you don't believe in something, you're not going to dedicate your life to it and risk your life for it. James did. Something changed. So what event happens in between when he doesn't believe to when he does believe? He sees Jesus after he dies. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and starting with verse 7, you read that he, then he appeared to James. Now, I could say so much about 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It's the earliest known creed, meaning that somebody else wrote it and, it, and it just continues to go throughout time. But whenever they mention that he appeared to the 12, and then he appeared to so-and-so, and then he appeared to James, it's important because they wanted to know exactly who Jesus appeared to, which means that James said, he came to me. And I think it's safe to say that that was probably the moment that James changed his life. And why would you change your life for something that was a lie? Why would you change your life for something that wasn't real? Unless Jesus actually came in the flesh and said, I am who I said I was. Jesus didn't give in to their claims to say like, whenever you're telling me to like do all these different things and to put up or shut up, Jesus could have done it right there if he wanted to. But it wasn't his time. And Jesus didn't give in to it. And he waited until this moment to say, I am who I said that I was. James changed. He was at the ascension. Whenever you see the, the 120 people in the upper room, James was there. Whenever he was on the day of Pentecost, when Peter is giving the first gospel message in Acts after Jesus died, James was there. He was ready to give his life for the mission of Christ. But James's story doesn't end there. A lot of guys, like, that's it. Like, that's the cutoff. They're like, their life changed. They went on and did great things. James's story continues. Some of you guys know about this, uh, about this guy named Saul who just kind of shows up and he's persecuting the church. You remember the people that are being dispersed at the beginning of James and they're having to run away? Guess who was one of the most influential leaders to killing the Christians at that time? Saul. So then Saul has this transformation on the road to Damascus with Jesus and, he, and, he, and he's trying to decide, is this really what's happening to me? We read that Paul ends up going away and kind of hiding himself for a few years. He's trying to figure out, is this real? What do I do with it? And then we read in Galatians that he actually comes and he meets with Peter and with James and with John who confirm that what he's experiencing is real and it's from God. So James ends up confirming the ministry of Paul and we get over the half of the New Testament because of Paul. James was a big deal. 
James was no longer this skeptic or this doubter who didn't believe in Jesus. He knew who he was and he wanted to confirm everything that was going on. But James also wasn't a lightweight. In Acts chapter 15, you have this story where all these Gentiles, meaning that they weren't Jewish people who weren't part of the chosen race, they were believing in Jesus. And they're like, man, this is great. This is what Jesus died for. But we need to set some boundaries. And James and a few of the other ones stood up and said, we don't need to set these kind of boundaries. You're missing the point. See, when, back then, whenever you were a Jew, you had to be circumcised. If you don't know what circumcision is, don't Google it. Uh, that's why I say to the students all the time, because they will. And they're basically coming in, and all these older gentlemen who are part of the Gentile, they're like, you guys need to be circumcised. And they're like, well, wait, let, let's pump the brakes here. Are we sure? And then James is one of the influential voices to say that you don't need to do that anymore because that's not what makes you Jesus was. James had a huge voice in that. Paul ends up referencing James and he calls him uh, influential and also a pillar of the faith. So let's recap all these different things about James. He was the brother of Jesus. He was highly regarded among the apostles. He got to see Jesus after the resurrection. He was the key leader in the Jerusalem church. Other people looked to him for guidance, for ideas, for knowledge. He became an advocate for the poor. And he also was a peacemaker to say, hey, let's calm down here on this one. We actually read that James's death was crazy because all these people called the Judaizers, they bring him in here and they're wanting him to talk and then they push him over a mountain. But he doesn't die from the fall. So he gets on his knees and he starts praying. So they pick up stones and they start throwing rocks at him. That doesn't kill him. So then they just basically get like a club and they just beat him to death. That's a way to go out. But there's a second century historian named Hegesippus who says that this is how the man died. So again, I pose the question. For a man who didn't believe that his brother was who he says he was, even though he saw for three years miracles being done, he wasn't even willing to dedicate a moment for Jesus to be the son of God. And now he's allowing himself to be beaten to death for it. He truly believed the resurrection happened. And because of that, his life was changed. James had a couple other nicknames too. You have one called James the Just. James of Jerusalem, the bulwark of the people. And probably the most famous one, Old Camel Knees. And it sounds like a PlayStation or Xbox name that you would read online, right? But when we see Old Camel Knees, you have to actually understand the story behind it. Josephus, who was another historian, that probably one of the more well-known ones, he actually tells the story that people were uh, walking through and they would see him uh, praying on his knees. And he would do that so much that his knees became calloused and they, they became uh, very hard. And because of that, he was Old Camel Knees because of the amount that he prayed on his knees. James had a history. James had a name that people knew. But we hear all these different things and we can call James, James uh, old camel knees or James the, the brother of Jesus. But what does James refer to himself as? James, a slave, a servant of God. Now that Greek word doulos, people will quote that as servant. And I took Greek for three years. I wasn't very good at it. But my, my professor... He talked about how, yes, we can say servant. That's a good one. He said, but whenever you look at what Jesus calls you to do as a follower, it's not just be a servant. He calls you to be a slave. 
to completely give up yourself, to completely give up everything that you are. And a servant doesn't do it justice. A slave does. I have a tattoo on my arm that says ha doulas tu Christu, which means slave of Christ, because it's a reminder that it's, this world is not about me. And yet I make it about me. And listen, you may be like James. Whenever James, before his conversion, you may be James who's like, Jesus, I just need you to show up. James, I just need you to, I mean, Jesus, I just need you to be here. Jesus, I don't know if I believe you are who you say you are. So do something about it. And I'm here to tell you that the more that we, put, that we push through, we grow our faith, I believe that Jesus is showing up, but sometimes the answer is not yet or not right now. That's exactly what James had. So whenever James is getting ready to, 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 to write this book, he doesn't say, I'm James, the half-brother of Jesus. He doesn't say, I'm James, the leader of the church in Jerusalem. He doesn't say that I'm James, the guy who knew all the other dudes who were with Jesus. I'm James, the slave. And if I asked you the question, who do you say that you are? What would you say? My name is Philip and I am a father. My name is Philip and I am a husband. I am a son. I am a minister on staff. What would yours be? What would you define as yourself? Would it be your accomplishments? Would it be your work? Would it be the amount of money that you have? What is it that you would say about yourself if I were to insert a blank line right there? My name is so-and-so and I am a what? Every single one of our answers needs to have slave. Because the best thing that could happen to us is to realize just how broken and sinful we are. Because the more broken and sinful we are, the more we understand just how much we need a savior. And that savior is Jesus. This is the starting point for a faith that works. So at the beginning of the book, you see that James is talking to the 12 tribes that are being dispersed, that are being spread out everywhere. And we actually read about that here in Acts chapter 8, where it says, and there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. The day after Pentecost, the Christians began running because they were getting pushed out. They were getting murdered for believing it by a guy named Saul. But then you read in verse four, now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. So you can see they're all being pushed out and they're being chased to get killed. And it's like, as they're running, people are screaming out to them, hey, why are you running? Well, we're, we're getting ready to get killed. Why? For Jesus, you wanna come? Sure. And every, and the church began to grow. People didn't give their lives up for causes they didn't believe in at any point in history. So I ask the question to you. Are you a slave to Christ? Do you, do you see your life as an opportunity to show Jesus? Or, or are you just kind of going with the motions? Yeah, I'm, I'm a Christian. I go to church. But what are you doing with it? You have a faith, but do you have a faith that works? And again, understand, working doesn't save you. Jesus does. 
But having a faith that works shows people that you believe in this Jesus. The band's going to come up, and I just want you to, to, to really think on that moment. Do we have a faith that works? Do your kids see you praying? Do your kids see you reading your Bible? Does your family know that you actually believe in Jesus? Are you equipping yourself for the hard conversations with people who may or may not believe? Whenever we read through the book of James, you're going to see a lot of different practical things. Some people actually call James the Proverbs of the New Testament. Because everything that Jesus says is filtered through the book of James. But don't forget that James starts it out with one specific phrase and it's very intentional. I am James. I'm the guy who didn't believe and now I died for it. I'm the guy who grew up with Jesus. I'm the guy who hung out with the disciples. I helped to affirm Paul. He doesn't say all that. He just simply starts out this short book and says, I'm James, a servant of our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you have that same title today? The band's gonna play one last song. And if you have anything you wanna talk about or pray about, I would love to talk with you over here on your left. And I really want that, that question as we go over the next 13 weeks or so. Read the book of James a few times. Do a circle, highlight, underline. I'm a, I'm a physical Bible reader. Uh, I get too distracted with the phones. I'm a 32-year-old millennial, right? Challenge yourself. Memorize some scripture. Let the things that usually cause chaos in your mind cause a little bit of peace. Let's pray. Father, thank you for today, for what we have done, for what you do, and for the fact that we have a life to live. God, we are imperfect people living in an imperfect world, but we serve a perfect God, and you've promised to come back. We don't know when, but God, we know you will. Help us to be ready to Live every day as if every opportunity we have to talk to people is for you. God, help our conversations with non-Christians to be a, a charitable, a, a listening conversation. As we're gonna read in James, we need to be slow to speak, slow to become angry, and quick to listen. But we've gotten so defensive and we're so quick to get our point across, God, that you just tell us to stop and listen. Father, thank you for this church, for Gateway for a church that challenges the way that we think. We gotta help us to grow our relationship with you because that's what you're focused on. In your name I pray, amen.